all of you this morning. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13 this morning. Y'all are out there, right? All right. It's like, did I lose you? Between the start and... I thought that worship time was amazing. I, I didn't think that that would... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so any of you that know me know I, I get pretty excited when I share God's Word. And, and, and i got to say, you know, you hate to go, well, one... But I'm really excited about this message today. Because though I think that, and I truly believe that all of the Word of God can be so enlightening and encouraging... It can transform our lives for the better, and that's why I I guess I get so passionate about it, because I think it truly can help us, and like I said, enlighten us and encourage us. But I especially, when I, when I, when God started showing me all the wealth of riches from this passage we're going to look at this morning, I just got to thinking about many of you who are presently going through very difficult circumstances in your life, or you're just coming out of difficult circumstances. And I got to thinking, wow, God, this should be so encouraging for folks today. So I'm just hoping and praying that what translated from God to me through weeks and weeks of looking at this and, and studying it and meditating on it will somehow translate from me now to you this morning. It will be just as encouraging for you. Again, First Peter is written from... Someone who had such a unique perspective on walking with Christ. And he's writing this towards the end of his life about all the things that he's learned and he's experienced through his walk with Christ. Again, trying to encourage Christians. And a lot of what he talks about in 1 Peter is enduring suffering. And the word suffering just means to undergo painful, difficult circumstances. Let me ask you, how many of you here this morning have ever undergone painful, difficult circumstances? Raise your hand. Is there anybody that doesn't have your hand? I hope not. Because to me, if you've been alive for any length of time, you and I have undergone painful, difficult circumstances. Well, here's what Peter tells us to do in these times of life. He first says, trust the purposes of God. Then he's going to tell us to trust the path of God for our life. Then he's going to tell us to trust the power of God. And then he's going to tell us to trust the plan of God. Let's begin this morning by looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And by the way, Peter sort of begins this whole thing on suffering and, and trusting God, beginning in 1 Peter 3.13, and it goes all the way through chapter 4 till the very last verse of chapter 4. Now, we're not going to cover all that this morning. We're going to break it up into several sections. But I do want you to notice this real quick. Since it starts in 1 Peter 3.13 and ends in 1 Peter 4.19, notice in 1 Peter 4.19 how Peter ends this passage. Because really, how he ends is really what he's talking about through the whole passage. So he says to Christians at the end of 1 Peter 4, So then, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator as they do good. That's what the whole passage is about. From 1 Peter 3.13 all the way through 1 Peter 4.19, that is the main thought. 
Christian, entrust your soul. Trust God. Trust God. And the first thing then back in chapter 3, verse 13, he wants to talk about is trust the purposes of God in what you are going through. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 3, 13. Who is going to harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Now he says, in fact, if you happen to suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. In other words, most of the time, if we're focused on doing good in our lives, we probably won't be called to suffer. But there are times, especially as a Christian, where we're doing good or we're doing right, and we will suffer for it, you see. But here's the part that I want you to concentrate on this morning. The word harm, back in verse 13. Peter says, who is really going to harm you If in the midst of undergoing difficult, painful experiences, you continue to trust God for his purposes in all of that. He's not saying that God caused it. He's not saying that God, you know, is is the one behind it. Not at all. God is not the author of evil or sin or anything bad in any way. But what he is saying is, he's saying to us, do we somehow think that our God is not great enough? That even when bad things happen to us, even if we're doing good and doing things right, that somehow our God can't take the the bad things that happen to us and somehow still get his purposes to happen? That, that there is nothing that thwarts the purposes of God for our life if we continue to trust him even when things go haywire in our lives. That's what he means by who's going to harm you. You see, he's saying sort of the same thing that Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, it's not that God causes things bad to happen to us, but that our God is great enough, wise enough, strong enough that nothing can thwart his purposes, that he can even take the bad things and somehow he can make something good out of that, you see. If we, again, continue to trust him. Trust God for his purposes, even in the midst of suffering. A couple of the purposes he brings out here in these first couple of verses. First of all, he talks about In verse uh, 14, being blessed. The word means to spiritually benefit or profit from something. And then he even says in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if God wills it than for doing evil. And the word better there again means that what God can do, that one of the purposes of why he allows suffering and, and why he doesn't prevent things from happening is because sometimes God obviously sees that you and I can actually spiritually benefit or profit from going through painful, difficult circumstances. So again, God always has our highest good in mind when it comes to his purposes. And so Peter's saying, trust God in those purposes. That if you and I are going through difficult, painful circumstances, and all of us will at times in our life, he's saying, do you realize that one of the reasons why God does that is because his purpose is to grow us, to strengthen us, to spiritually benefit us and profit us out of that experience. 
Secondly, Peter tells us in this passage that those opportunities when we're undergoing painful, difficult circumstances can also be great opportunities for us to witness of the reality of our faith in Christ. You know, these verses are taken out of context, and I don't mean that that's wrong necessarily, but again, one of the reasons we study the Word of God the way we do is to keep things in its context. And so you'll notice verse 15, a very famous verse about, you know, setting Christ apart in our hearts and being always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that you possess is in the midst of this passage on trusting God in the purposes of why he allows bad things to happen. And so Peter's simply saying, don't you realize too, Christian, that one of the reasons, one of the purposes God may have for allowing difficult painful circumstances is it is through those difficult, painful circumstances that other people can really see our faith if we're trusting God. And instead of us even having to go to them and trying to witness and share our faith with them, they're going to see how, how can you be going through such a difficult, painful circumstance in your life and how can you be so confident How can you still have joy? How can you still have peace? I want to know about that because when I go through painful, difficult circumstances, I go crazy or I just crumble. I'm just crushed underneath the weight of it all. And how can you stay above it all? And so Peter says, well, that's sometimes why God allows it. Because other people can truly see the reality of our faith Unlike at any other times when you and I go through difficult, painful circumstances. And so that's why Peter starts out this passage by saying, trust the purposes of God. It may be for our benefit or profit spiritually. It may be for someone else's benefit or profit spiritually. But God's purposes, even when things go haywire in our life, cannot be thwarted. Please remember that. Think about Bible characters. Let's go back and think of Joseph for a minute. God gave Joseph a dream and a destiny. And it didn't matter whether his brothers were jealous of him and hated him and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Those purposes were not going to be thwarted ultimately. It didn't matter whether he was lied about by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and even the baker and the butler forgot about him for a while. God's purposes were not thwarted. Joseph eventually got to where God wanted him to get and nothing anyone could do to him was going to thwart those purposes. And that's why Peter says, when you hear the stories of God's word and the characters in the Bible, be encouraged, my friends. Nothing can truly harm you, essentially damage you when you're trusting in God. God's purposes will be accomplished. Paul doesn't say God is going to continue to perform what he started in you unless somebody sabotages it. It's not what Paul says. He says, he who has begun a good work in you will continue to do it until the day of Jesus Christ. No one is going to sabotage the work of God. When you trust God and his purposes. Think of David. Think of all the spears that he had to endure from Saul. And yet God's purposes were not thwarted in David's life. David became the king even if Saul didn't want him to be. You see, he he didn't. He he wasn't limited by what even those over him or what happened to him. He realized God has a purpose in it 
And God's got a purpose for me. And God's got a plan for my life. And God's purposes are not going to be thwarted in my life no matter what someone does to me. Think about Job. Think of all that Satan did to Job. Destroyed his health, destroyed his family, all of that. Oh, and then, by the way, then he gets these three friends who really weren't friends at all. All they did was come around him and tell him what a dirty, rotten scoundrel he was. Made things even worse. Did that thwart the purposes of God? No. Because the Bible says Job's end is better than his beginning. And Job was doubly blessed after he went through everything because he learned to trust God through it all. And he realized that nothing that other people are going to do to me is ultimately going to thwart what God's purpose is for my life. Nothing. Who can harm you if you're devoted to do what is good? Think of Daniel. Did he, did he serve God in the prime environment? No. Here was this young boy who was actually exiled, taken out of his home in Israel and sent to Babylon for the rest of his life. And yet it was in a foreign country, far away from home, family, support systems, all of that, that Daniel shined. Because Daniel's life wasn't going to be defined by what happened to him. It was being defined by God. And he was going to trust God, that God had a purpose for his life. And Daniel was going to rise to the occasion by trusting in God. It didn't matter whether he was undermined and sabotaged and thrown into a, a, a pit of lions. God was going to shut the mouths of those lions. And God's purposes for Daniel's life were going to be realized. Because Daniel was learning to trust in a God and his purposes. Then think about this a little bit. A little bit different. Think about someone like Paul, Saul. Who even though he really messed up in the first half of his life. Hated Christ. Persecuted the church. Persecuted Christians. Even though he really could look back and see that the first half of his life was a mess. It was a wreck. That even what he did did not thwart God's purposes for Paul. That Paul became maybe one of the greatest Christians who ever lived and at least one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries for the cause of Christ and the gospel of Christ that the world has ever seen. Some of you need to start trusting God in the purposes and not getting hung up on your past and what you've done and how somehow it's going to limit what God could do with you. Or even to begin to look at the pain and the things that others have done to you and somehow look at yourself as damaged goods or whatever. Peter is saying to us, when we truly understand God and his word, we understand that nothing can truly harm us or thwart God's purposes in our life when we continue to trust him. Trust him, my friends, today. Trust him in those purposes. It may be that the difficult, painful experience you're going through is actually going to spiritually benefit and profit you. Or it may be that the difficult, painful experience is going to provide you an opportunity to share your faith like nothing else ever could. Trust God. In his purposes. Second, 
Trust God in the path that he has for you. Notice he says, beginning in verse 18, because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but certainly made alive in the spirit. He's saying, let's not forget the path God has. And while Jesus, the son of God, was here on earth, In his humanity, he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and the will of God the Father for his life. And he was again, as Peter has told us, a great example and model and pattern for us to follow the path that God has for us. Because ultimately, that path is not a path that's going to end in defeat. It's not a path that's going to end in discouragement. It's actually a path that's going to end with a crown. It's going to be a path that ends in victory and triumph. And he says, if you want an example, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, the Son of God. Did he suffer unjustly? Absolutely. He suffered for the sins of the entire world, and yet he himself knew no sin. And yet he followed the path that God had for him. Because ultimately, he knew that that path wasn't going to end in death. He's the prince of life. Nothing's going to keep him dead anyway. He's very much alive, even though they killed him physically. And, And Peter's saying, look... I walked with the Son of God. I I, I can personally vouch for what I'm speaking about. I saw the risen Christ. I spoke with him. He gave me a commission to go and to feed his lambs and his sheep. And I'm telling you, trust the path that God has for your life. Because Jesus is a great example. God's not going to take us down a path that leads to defeat. Always remember Christ's cross and triumph. See, just like with Jesus, we will experience the crosses of this life before we get the crown. But the crown's coming. And our exaltation and our glorification is all coming. And yes, just like Jesus, we will have to undergo painful, difficult experiences on earth. But that's not our ultimate destiny. Our ultimate destiny, as we've talked about, is to rule and reign with Christ. To be part of his divine administration in his kingdom. One day we're even, the Bible says, going to rule over the angels. And so he says, even though you may be on a difficult, painful path right now, Trust God if that's his path for you. Because ultimately, he's not taking you down that path to defeat you. He's not taking you down that path to discourage you. He's taking you down that path so ultimately you can be victorious and you can triumph. Just like our Savior Jesus did in his experience on earth. And Peter knew well of, of that path. In a small little way. Even when, as he was walking with Christ, he was bidden by Christ to come out and begin to walk on the water. And again, just like in our lives, Jesus didn't calm the storm and the waves around Peter while he was out there. What Jesus was trying to teach Peter and the other disciples and you and I is, 
I want you to trust me that even when the storms are still there, even when the waves are rocking and rolling the boat, if you continue to trust me, then you're going to be able to get through it all and trust the path that God has you on. See, the problem with Peter, as we know, is instead of keeping his eyes on Christ and trusting Christ in the midst of the storm as he was walking on the water, he began to look at the storm and the waves and the circumstances, and that's when he began to sink. We even see this illustrated for us, too, in the boat incident with all the disciples. Remember when Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake and they get about halfway out into the boat and this great storm comes up and all these even experienced fishermen are freaking out and Jesus is laying there asleep in the boat as if nothing's happening and they go to him and they're waking him up and say, Jesus, get awake, do something. We're all going to die out here. And Jesus is like, oh, you have little faith. I want you to learn to trust me And trust the path that I have you on. I'm the one that told you to get into the boat and go to the other side. Do you think I'm going to tell you to get into the boat and go to the other side and bring you halfway out into this lake and somehow let you die out here? Trust me. I'm not going to prevent the storms from coming. But I want you to learn to be able to rest in the midst of those storms just like I was in the midst of that boat. I'm not going to always take the storms of life away because that won't spiritually profit or benefit us in any way. What God will do is he will build a strength and a faith into us that even in the midst of the storms hurling and howling around us, we can still be at peace and say it is well with my soul at the very core of our being because we're trusting the path that God has us on. And then Peter says, not only do we need to be encouraged to trust the purposes of God and the path of God, but the power of God. Notice what he says here. These verses get a lot of attention. And they are a little strange, but we're going to talk more about them actually on Tuesday. He says, so while he was alive in the spirit, he went and preach to the spirits or spirit beings in prison. After they were disobedient long ago when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as the ark was being constructed. What in the world is going on? Well, I'm going to briefly explain what is going on here, but I'm going to say this. If you want to know who these spirit beings are that Jesus preached to, And why they were in prison and what that's all about come Tuesday night to our study of the book of Revelation. And here's why. Only God could put this together like this. I could never do this. We're actually going to be in a passage of scripture on Tuesday night in the book of Revelation where these spirit beings who've been confined to this abyss, this bottomless pit, are actually let out on Tuesday night. So we're going to talk about who they are, why they're there and all that. The point is this, Jesus did not go to these spirit beings and somehow give them a chance to be saved. He was actually announcing victory over these spiritual beings. And I believe that when 
The light of the world was out of the world. And for those couple hours when Jesus physically was hanging on the cross, he was still very much alive in the spirit. He went to this place where these spirit beings were. And why did he go there? Because because of the cross, the rules had changed. The rules of the game, in a sense, had changed. And Jesus was letting these spirit beings know now what the new rules of the game were because of the cross. You see, up to this point in history, even believers in God in the Old Testament weren't permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon them to do acts of service that God was leading them to do. But then the Holy Spirit would leave and would come upon them and then leave. Where because of the cross and because uh, the veil, the temple was torn in two. And now access to God was unlimited because of the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. And that opened up the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Even the whole spiritual dynamic and spiritual world and how the spirit world was going to interact with human beings. And especially now with believers in Jesus Christ was going to change. And so Jesus went and basically proclaimed victory over those spirit beings and was telling them, these are the new rules of the game. This is how it's going to be from here on out. And what Peter and why Peter is sharing this with us is he's saying, trust in the power of God. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.15 that because of the cross of Christ, Christ disarmed principalities and powers. That phrase always speaks about spiritual beings, especially evil spiritual beings, demons as we would call them. Paul says in Colossians 2.15 that Christ through his cross triumphed over these principalities and powers. He made a public disgrace of them, Paul says, having triumphed over them by the cross. And so why Peter is using this example is he's saying, guys, Christ's power is greater than any other power in the world. In fact, he reminds us of this in the very last verse of chapter 3. Notice what he says. He says, Christ went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. Every being in the universe is subordinate to the power of Christ. All is under his firm control. He's saying, so trust in the power of God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And what Peter is saying is any power, any power, whether it be an angelic power or human power or whatever it is, the only power that they can have in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ is us allowing them and giving them that power. Because because of Christ, they should have no power over us. That the power that should be pulsating and operating in our lives at all times is the power of Jesus Christ. The strength that Paul talks about when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That should be the power that dominates our lives. And any time that some demonic being or even human being has power in our lives, it's only because we grant them that power. We give them that power. They do not have that power by right or by privilege. And Peter is saying, so trust in the power of God. If if you're being overcome by other powers, 
If you're letting a human being control you and have power over you in your life that is unbiblical and spiritually destructive in some way, Peter's reminding us, don't give them that power. You can choose to stand up to that power and let the power of Christ that is higher than all other powers in the universe bring that power under control. And that's true even in spiritual warfare. Obviously, I do not believe the Bible teaches in any way that demons can inhabit Christians or possess Christians in any way. The Holy Spirit lives within us. There's no way no demon gets in there with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible does teach the reality of spiritual warfare every once in a while and the fact that demons can oppress us. They can, they can pick on us. And if we are allowing them any foothold or any power in our lives, Peter's saying, don't you realize that through what Christ has done, he disarmed all those rulers and principalities and powers. They are subservient to him. He is the greater power. He is the almighty God. And there is no power in this universe greater than Jesus. So trust in his power, my friends, and start to overcome and see victory over all these other powers that somehow are draining you. And then he says, trust in the plan of God. Trust in the plan of God. He's talking here about Noah at this point because he's tying these spirit beings in with the times of Noah. And again, we're going to talk about that Tuesday night. Tuesday night's passage certainly gives us opportunity to do that. But notice the very important point here. He says in verse 20, in the ark, a few, that is eight souls were delivered through water. Don't miss that. It was in the ark that they were delivered, not water. They weren't delivered by water. The water would have killed them if it wasn't for the ark. It was the ark that God constructed, giving Noah the instructions that delivered them from the flood. But then he goes on to say this. And this, this ark, prefigures baptism, which now saves you, not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are many false teachers down through the years who've taken this and and, and taught baptismal regeneration, that these verses teach that one must be baptized in order to be saved. That's not at all what this passage is talking about, my friends. First of all, you'll notice, he says, this has nothing to do with any kind of physical water. This isn't some external rite that we go through. This is something that happens internally. He makes that point by saying, not the physical removing of dirt or filth or whatever, but the pledge of a... It's it's an internal thing. And secondly, there are two kinds of baptism that is talked about in the New Testament. There is the water baptism, the physical rite of baptism that one does after accepting Christ as our Savior, as an outward symbol of what has already taken place on the inside. And then there's also spiritual baptism, where we are placed into the body of Christ because we are trusting God's means of deliverance. And that's the kind of baptism he's talking about here. See, just like with Noah, that's why he says these, this corresponds to Noah. Noah and his family had to trust God's means of deliverance totally while the flood was coming. 
They couldn't just half trust, like, well, God, you know, uh, I'll build the ark but not get in it. No. You see, they had to totally trust God's means of deliverance. If they would have, if they would have shirked just a little bit and somehow stayed on the land instead of getting into that ark that was their salvation, they would have drowned just like everybody else. And so he's saying, that's really what baptism symbolizes. And that's when we are spiritually baptized, that's what happens. When we are placed into the body of Christ, it's because we have come to a place where we totally trust God's means to save us. That we're not trying to save ourselves, we're not trying to work our way to heaven, we're not trying to become good enough or righteous enough before God to somehow gain His merit. We are placing ourselves on the mercy of God and we're saying, God, you need to save me because I can't save myself. And I am trusting in your ark for my life. The Lord Jesus Christ is my ark. And I'm going to get into that ark fully. And I'm going to trust completely in your means of deliverance and salvation for my life. That was the plan that God had for Noah. And Peter's saying, That's a great illustration for us that, you know, sometimes the plan of God for our lives, we sort of scratch our heads and go, really, God? And I'm sure Noah felt that way. First of all, remember, God came to him and said, there's going to be a flood. What's that? Hardly ever seen it rain. Well, there's coming a flood. There's coming a judgment. And just like many today, what do I need salvation for? What do I need to be saved from? That's probably what a lot of them thought even in Noah's day. What do we need to be saved from? Well, there's judgment coming. There's a flood coming. Oh, and Noah, you're going to spend 120 years of your life constructing this ark. Because basically it's just a big box. But the way I'm going to design it and the way I'm going to tell you to build it, it's actually going to be watertight and and it's going to preserve you and your family through the flood. You just got to trust my plan. And then obviously, when I call you to get in there, along with all the other animals, you need to trust in my plan for your preservation. Now again, don't miss what's happening here. God saved Noah and his family as all this other was going on around them. And again, that's, that's God's means many times is to save us through something, not to take it away. So he saved them through the flood. Just like he saved Daniel's three friends through the fire. Just like he saved Joseph through the pit and through the prison. And he saved Daniel through the lion's den. He didn't preserve as far as taking those circumstances and undergoing the difficulty of those things out of people's lives that trusted in him. He was trying to build a trust and strength in them that no matter again what came their way, they had such a trust that they knew God's purposes and plan and destiny for their lives would not be thwarted. They just needed to simply begin to trust his plan, his power, His purposes for their life. And that's what Peter's encouraging us to do. He's saying, guys and gals, God never wants us to live in fear. 
Go back up to verse 14. Notice what Peter says there. He says, don't be terrified or shaken. Don't be intimidated. Don't be frightened. Don't be unsettled. Don't be deeply disturbed. God does not want us to live in fear or live by fear. He wants us to live by faith and trust Him. And trust your souls to a faithful Creator as you're doing good, 1 Peter 4.19. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of all that's going on around you. Trust in the purposes, the path, the plan, and the power of God in the midst of it all. And that's what we as Christians are going to need to do in the world in which we live. Because we're going to continue as history moves forward to hear about things like Venezuela and what's happening in Ukraine with Russia and all that. We're going to continue to have all this because what's happening is underneath the surface of every country in the world is an unsettledness. An unsettledness. And it doesn't take much for that unsettledness of the world population to begin to spill over and see things happen. That's why Jesus says, don't be surprised before I come if you don't hear of wars and rumors of wars and and this and that happening. The world is in a very restless, unsettled state. And that's why it behooves those who say we are followers of God and that we know God and that we have a relationship with God. And especially that we are trusting God not to live in fear, but to trust the purposes, the plan, the path and the power of God in our lives, no matter what's happening around us. And that's why then Peter says, To all of us as Christians. Verse 15. Set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Basically what that means is. Turn control of your life over to him. Stop trying to control what you can't control. Stop being concerned about the things that's totally out of your control, turn control of your life over to Him. Trust His plan. Trust His purposes. Trust His path and trust His power in the midst of your life. Turn control of your life over to Him. Let Him be the one to rule That's what the word Lord means. Let him be the one who decides. That's what the word Lord means. Let him be the one who decides. That's what the word Lord means. And notice Peter says, do it in your heart. Why not my head? Well, he's going to talk about our head next week. But the reason why he uses the word heart, it's very important. Because the heart goes back to what we talked about last week. That's our want to. That's our desire. That's where our desires, our passions, our want to's come from. It's our heart. It does no good to, in our head, intellectually say, God, I trust you. I I trust your path. I I trust your purpose. I trust your power. I I, I trust all of this in my life. And and, and I get it up here if, if we don't get it down here. 
Because it's out of this seat of passion and affection and want to and desire that all the choices and decisions of our life are really made. It's out of our heart. And he says, we even as believers have to make sure that we are turning control of our life over to God in our hearts. We can say in our head, yeah, I've turned my life and I'm letting God be the Lord and I'm letting him run my life and I'm trusting him and all this in my head. But if I don't do it in my heart, nothing ever really changes. Because, well, again, where the choices and decisions for everyday life are made really come out of our heart. It comes out of our passion, affection, desires, and want-tos that really is our heart. It's not that physical organ that beats blood through our body. It's really the seat and control center of our being. It's the wellspring out of which everything else flows. And that's why Peter says to Christians... Make sure you're turning control of your life over in your heart. That once and for all, you say, God, here. Now, Peter understands. You and I can say that as a believer and go, okay, Lord, I'm turning control of my life over or this area of my life over to you. And then we can come back and take it back. He gets that. So what he would say to all of us today is, so if you've done that, if you've taken it, if you've taken control back, then use today to give it back to him. He can be trusted. We have seen this today. Where even out of Peter, he says, I learned to trust God. I learned to trust the purposes he had for my life. And that nothing could thwart those purposes if I trusted him. I began to trust The path that he had for my life. Even if that path led to a cross, I knew that ultimately God's path for me was not going to end in defeat, but victory. Just like Jesus. I learned to trust God's power instead of shrinking under the questioning of a few people around the fire as Jesus was arrested and shrinking back, I became a man who trusted in the power of God to preach the gospel to thousands of people and to see thousands of people come to know Christ. And I began to be a person who trusted the plan of God. That God's plan is always better than my plan. Even if that plan seems a little screwy or crazy, like building an ark, You want me to take 120 years of my life to build an ark? Yeah. Because God's plan can always be trusted. Because God can always be trusted. Don't live in fear. Don't be intimidated. Don't be terrified. Don't be shaken or unsettled or deeply disturbed. But set Christ apart in your hearts as Lord. Our closing song today is, My Hope is in God. My hope is in Him. The word hope means confident expectation. Let's end our service and sing this song with conviction and with commitment to a God where we're saying to God, God, I trust you. And I'm learning to trust you like never before. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the encouragement that Peter has given us here. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would learn to trust you more. That we realize you are our hope. 
And you are where our hope needs to be. Our hope doesn't need to be placed in anyone or anything else but in you. We can truly entrust our souls to you because you are a faithful creator. And your purposes will not be thwarted or sabotaged in any way. Though other people may do very painful, hurtful things to us, if we trust you, God, nothing can thwart those purposes or sabotage those. And God, even the things we've done, if we trust you now and begin to look to you, we're not damaged goods like the enemy may want us to think. But God, you can use us in ways that we never even imagine if we'll trust you. God, I pray today that you would create such a hope, such a confidence, such a conviction, such a trust and belief in you today that, Lord, none of us here today or who hear this message from 1 Peter would ever be the same. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this closing song to the Lord this morning and make it an anthem of commitment from ourselves to him today.